Hello listeners, and it's really great to have you all back on ASEAN Speaks, Maybank's weekly program that spotlights the issues that matter most to ASEAN's capital markets. With the undercurrents of an inflationary environment, our clients say that these are one of the most difficult times to navigate the market. True as that may be, perhaps a more systematic approach in managing risk is to focus on the key factors that are actually pertinent in this cycle of higher rates. So today, we have designed our conversations around the signpost to watch on three key burning issues. One, how will markets know for sure if higher inflation is merely transitory in nature or if it will become permanent? Two, will energy prices continue rising from the view of ASEAN central banks? And three, if ASEAN equity markets are indeed getting a boost from central bank policies, what should investors be overweight on? In closing, don't panic. Be disciplined on following the right market drivers. Hagbin, who is co-head of Macro Research, will now take us through these issues and more. So enjoy the programming as we cut over to his studio right now. Um, let's start off for today. Today we have Suhaimi on the inflation team and Malaysia Street QGDP. Jue on Bank of Thailand's policy decision. Zambros on Philippine Street QGDP, followed by Jackie on her latest Philippine strategy. Kao Shaw on the takeaways from the COP26, cheating on the changes to the CPO price forecast. Uh, so let's kick off with uh, Suhaimi. So I, mean, I think you released your ASEAN X thematic report on inflation, which is timely. So how do you approach the issue of assessing whether the rise in inflation that we're seeing is transitory or persistent? And what sort of inflation indicators would you be monitoring to assess the risk that inflation could become more permanent? Good morning, Habin and everyone. Yes. Uh, major and regional central banks are still sanguine about the rise in inflation, seeing it being driven by uh, three temporary factors, essentially commodity prices, supply chain bottlenecks, and economic reopenings that are expected uh, to fade over the course of uh, next year. Um, we did a study on the impact of commodity prices, uh, supply chain bottlenecks, economic reopenings on ASEAN 6 pandemic-era inflation. Um, I think as per the summary of the uh, deltas of the regression analysis uh, shown here on the screen, uh, supply chain bottlenecks appear to have the largest impact on ASEAN 6 pandemic era uh, inflation, where a one-point drop in global PMI suppliers' delivery time index resulted in a 0.1 percentage point increase in ASEAN 6 inflation rate. Uh, the decline in this index signals uh, suppliers' delivery time is slowing, implying worsening supply chain bottlenecks. On commodity prices, uh, not surprisingly, crude oil and food prices are the key factors to ASEAN 6 uh, pandemic-era uh, inflation. Uh, economic reopening impact on inflation is also something to keep an eye on. Uh, an index point change in ASEAN 6 average stringency index, which we use as a proxy for economic reopening, result in a 0.02 percentage point change in the ASEAN 6 inflation rate. Uh, given the negative sign, this means inverse relation between the two variables, uh, lower stringency index, meaning easing or lifting of containment measures and resultant economic reopening, have the prospect of contributing or adding to inflationary upsides in this uh, pandemic. Uh, era. Um, in, in this report, we uh, basically highlighted uh, five indicators uh, to watch in assessing whether or not the um, inflation is uh, 
transient or more uh, persistent. I think uh, the first one is uh, we will keep an eye on the compo global composite PMIs input and output price indices uh, because this looks like a pretty good lead indicators on global uh, inflation. Uh, we will also keep uh, an eye on uh, core inflation. Um, I think uh, this is basically taking cue from Monetary Authority of Singapore being the first of the bloc among ASEAN six countries in tightening monetary policy last month on account of rising trend in not just headline inflation, but especially core inflation. Because in contrast, uh, the rest of ASEAN six economies are showing more of a stable low or even declining uh, trend in the uh, core uh, inflation. Um, of course, um, we need to keep an eye on commodity prices, uh, in particular intention being on the movement uh, in energy and uh, crude oil uh, prices, and whether or not supply chain bottleneck is uh, prolonging or easing. Um, we basically uh, will uh, need to pay attention to the trend in uh, the global composite PMI suppliers delivery time index, which uh, we use as an input to our uh, analysis uh, earlier. Uh, easing in supply chain bottlenecks will translate into improvement in this index from current level. Latest data as of October 34.8 is an uh, all-time low, uh, signifying a very uh, tight uh, supply bottleneck situation uh, right now uh, compared with uh, historically. And I think within the context of uh, supply chain uh, bottlenecks, um, keeping costs and bottleneck indicators like Keeping container rates and port congestions are also uh, something to watch, especially in China, uh, given uh, China being the global manufacturing export hub. The congestion at China ports are important to keep an eye on. Uh, this is especially given the risk of uh, China's zero COVID-19 policy uh, causing potential disruptions due to intermittent lockdowns and containment measures in the event of a spike in COVID-19 infections. That has already affected uh, port congestion in China as in May and, and uh, August, uh, for example. The last indicator to watch, output gap, uh, economic reopening. Um, I think it's a key theme for growth outlook next year. Uh, it will narrow the negative output gap that was caused by the pandemic-induced recession. And again, going back to Singapore, the headline and core inflation rates picking up amid the uh, relatively faster, um, what you call a narrowing of a negative output gap and the expected return of positive output gap uh, much faster relative to its uh, ASEAN peers. Okay, thanks, Waimi. Uh, let's bring in Jue on the Bank of Thailand uh, policy meeting last week. I think Bank of Thailand left the policy way unchanged. So Jue, any key takeaways from the policy statement? Good morning. Uh, maybe two key highlights from the policy statement. Uh, first, on the economic outlook, BOT did sound more optimistic compared to previous meetings. I uh, stated that downside risks for Thailand have fallen as vaccination pace picks up. And BOT assessed that the economy has bottomed out in the third quarter and has entered the recovery phase. Uh, there were uh, highlights of improving indicators in the labour market. For instance, income of workers in the services sector and the self-employed have been rising in line with the economy reopening. Um, the second key takeaway is BOT's view on inflation. Uh, it thinks that the rise in headline inflation will be temporary on the back of supply side factors, especially uh, energy prices. Uh, but the government's diesel subsidies and LPG price caps will help to contain inflation in the short term. 
uh, and it expects global energy prices to ease by the second quarter of next year as all supply increases. Uh, upside risks to inflation still remain, including the persistently elevated global energy prices, uh, prolonged supply disruptions, which could force businesses to pass the higher cost to consumers. Uh, but BOT also uh, emphasized that the slow recovery in uh, income and purchasing power would result in subdued demand-side inflationary pressures. Uh, BOT is looking at headline inflation to come in at 1% this year and 1.4% next year, uh, while we are penciling in a higher estimate of 1.1% this year and 1.8% in 2022. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Um, Zamros, the Philippines released their three-tier GDP as well, which came in at a decent 7.1%. So why is the Philippines showing such a nice rebound while Malaysia and Thailand probably and Vietnam showing a sharp contraction in third quarter? Uh, I think there are two factors that contribute to that. Uh, the first one is the uh, decision by the government to allow uh, economic activities to continue, especially starting from the second quarter of this year. Uh, and this is in opposite of uh, what they did last year, whereby whenever there's a rise in uh, COVID-19 cases, they totally shut down the economic activities last year. But of course, the uh, easing in terms of uh, allowing economic activities to continue in the second quarter and third quarter this year comes with a strict uh, SOPs to adhere by the uh, employees and employers alike. And I think we can see, uh, especially from the construction sectors, uh, especially uh, the infrastructure projects under the Build, Build, Build uh, initiatives by the government, uh, we, we, we look at the uh, number of uh, employment in the construction sector continue uh, to improve uh, as we go along uh, towards the uh, uh, the end of the third quarter this year. Uh, secondly, is uh, support from the remittances. Uh, we know that uh, in, in the Philippines, remittances comprise about 10% uh, size of the economy and the uh, year-to-date, uh, it's expanding 6.1% uh, uh, in contrast to uh, a contraction of 0.6% uh, last year. And I think this is uh, contributed by the uh, global economic recovery and secondly, from the firm uh, crude oil price that support uh, private consumption uh, in the uh, Philippines. So what's your growth outlook for the rest of this year and uh, next year? And what will be the key growth drivers? Uh, for this year, we, we, we continue to see uh, growth uh, at 5.5%, uh, which uh, mathematically makes the uh, fourth quarter growth for this year at 7%, uh, which pick up from the uh, third quarter growth as more sectors uh, of the economy reopens and the vaccination rate in Philippines uh, pick up speed. And also from uh, the government's uh, aims uh, to put the NCR and other surrounding areas where the, the main economic activities takes place uh, to be brought down to alert one uh, by January uh, next year. Uh, as far as next year concerned, we are looking at growth to continue uh, to pick up. Uh, we are looking at 7% growth uh, for next year. Uh, the drivers will be uh, domestic demand uh, again uh, with the robust, robust recovery in consumption spending and also uh, we expect uh, government to, to continue with the government spending uh, in, in view of the incoming uh, presidential pres 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 election uh, next year uh, and also we expect uh, improvement in terms of the gross uh, uh, fixed capital formation. Okay, thanks, Zamros. Right. At 7% growth next year, I think that's the fastest uh, growth in ASEAN. So let's bring in Jackie of Philippine Strategy. Uh, you titled your latest Philippine Strategy report, 
I had to Google the meaning of this word, which I think it means a device to stop the flow of blood through a vein or artery. So why this uh, imagery of face? Um, the Philippine market has been rallying strongly over the past two months, sort of catching up, and it's now to positive year to date. Is the blood finally pumping back into the markets? Um, so yeah, so hi, good morning. Um, Alternity is uh, first aid relief uh, to prevent a person which was severely cut from dying from loss of blood. Um, the pandemic's impact on our country's predominantly service and consumption-based economy, which was minimally addressed um, by our government's lockdown-based pandemic mitigation approach, triggered massive foreign outflows in the country. Uh, which continue to drag the market despite corporate sound um, fundamentals. Foreign ownership levels are, are at a nine-year low, uh, with much of the under-owned stocks um, in the property and banking sectors. Post-aggressive provisioning measures in the last 18 months, as well as expected sustained reopening owed to increasing vaccine coverage, we see no further downside risks in these areas. Um, secondly, uh, we expect retail participation in the market to stabilize, although we do expect retail participation to actually be sustained, if not grow over time. The absence of market-changing events, um, such as the pandemic, should result to a more lineal growth um, in participation, minimizing the market's volatility as well. Um, so I guess in summary, we are saying that the Philippine market appears to be benefiting from a tourniquet against um, excessive outflow-driven uh, downsides. Jackie, with most share prices now having rally, how much more upside um, to your index target? And which are your top buys? Okay, so our year-end target is 7650 And at this momentum, that should be achievable. Rolling this forward to next year, um, we have an index target of about 8200 about 11% higher from where we closed today, uh, well, last Friday. So this is based on a 21% year-on-year growth for the next year, majority of which will actually be coming from the banking and property sectors. However, taking into consideration the short-term noise that the May 2022 national elections might bring, uh, we recommend still staying in the essentials-focused um, basket that we have at least in the next two quarters, which is also when we project herd immunity to be achieved. Um, so our top picks are still Universal Rabina, Century Pacific, um, BDO, PLDT, Ayala Corp, and ARI. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, let's Thank bring you. in Kautschel. So COP26, Kaushal, what are the main takeaways uh, from this Glasgow Climate Pact? Does it meet or fall short of your expectations, or was it just all a greenwash event? Hi, uh, good morning, Hugbin. So the COP26 finished this Saturday, and details on what was negotiated and finalized are still emerging. So from a broader perspective, 200 nations reached a climate agreement, a historic event, uh, COP26 was important because not only did it clarify the language, but it also put on paper the science behind climate change and what the goal must be. And it also tells countries the next step, which is to come back next year with very clear targets on how to cut emissions to keep us in line with the science. Now, having said that, I believe the progress was incremental. And additional 6.3 billion metric tons of emission reductions were pledged by 2030 on top of existing policies. But this is still below the 26.8 billion emission reduction required to stay within the 1.5 degree target. So COP26 does not solve climate change, but it does provide a way forward. Uh, the key highlight is that this is the first time we have a language and agreement to move away from coal. Uh, never before has the importance of getting away from coal been mentioned in a closing text before. And so this is quite important. Another highlight is that the negotiators have finally agreed on the rules to implement Article 6, 
which covers the way countries can work together to generate deeper emission reductions. It includes cross-border compliance on carbon markets. Despite the high hopes going into COP26, ultimately, I believe it has fallen below expectations. Alok Sharma, which is the COP26 president, commented that we have kept 1.5 degrees within reach, but the pulse is weak. The biggest disappointment was the watering down of the text around coal after the intervention of India. Uh, phasing out of coal was replaced by phasing down coal. Uh, it's a subtle change, but very important and crucial to the message. Implication is that coal, the dirtiest fuel, will remain a part of the picture going forward. And according to IEA, if we want to reach the net zero globally by 2050, we will need to phase out all unabated coal generation by 2030 in advanced economies and 2040 worldwide. So this was disappointing. So Katrua, maybe some of the implications for the ASEAN now. Energy, energy sector and coal sector, and I suppose future policies. Will this um, you know, speed up the timeline to reduce all the fuel subsidies, um, reduce coal production, and uh, you know, introduce a carbon tax? So I, I think this is, this is positive for the energy space. I think both renewables and oil and gas and coal have something to cheer about. Uh, although you know, many may feel that not enough was done in COP26, I think the agreement itself is a signal to the market that the governments are still committed directionally and will increase efforts over time. So after the 2015 Paris Agreement, from 2016 to 2020, uh, $2.2 trillion were invested in renewables, a 55% increase in, from the prior five years. So I think we will continue to see a strong trend. Uh, most countries within the region have announced carbon neutral goals by 2050-2070 and are likely to set more aggressive NDC targets. So just to take Thailand as an example, renewable as a percentage of energy consumption is expected to increase from 30% to 50% by 2037 in the new PDP. Uh, in terms of oil and gas and coal, I think the softening of the language you know, around coal, which is the dirtiest fuel, uh, signals that the policymakers may refrain from taking uh, very drastic measures against the industry. So this, in effect, reduces the policy risk and lowers the risk premium on many of the oil and gas names, uh, a positive at least in the near term. Uh, we have to be mindful that the COP26 is not the end, but a stepping stone. So it, it is a work in progress. So policy will change over time. So, you know, for, for the time being, I think, you know, it, at least... Uh, when all the countries meet next year, you know, we will have a more clear picture in terms of, uh, you know, what are some of the things that they're doing to uh, achieve targets. Okay, thanks, Kaushal. Let's move on to Chiteng. Chiteng, you are raising your CPO price assumptions. So can you take us through your assumptions and rationale for raising the price outlook? Hi, Harbin. Morning. So we have raised our CPO average selling price assumption this year to 4,300 ringgit per ton from 3,005 previously. And for 2022, it has been raised to 3,002 from 2008. And for the following uh, 2023, uh, to 3,000 ringgit from 2,800 ringgit per ton. Now for this year, CPU price has performed better than the industry expectations, uh, owing to overall weaker than expected output, both here in Malaysia and also in Indonesia. Now in Malaysia, output was largely constrained by the lack of foreign workers as borders were closed since early 2020. Yet today, CPO price has averaged nearly 4,300 ringgit. Still, we maintain our view that the current high price of above, of above 5,000 ringgit is not sustainable as a wider discount is needed to sustain demand. 
current CPO price discount to soybean oil is below its historical averages. As for 2022-2023, our highest CPO ASP forecast is mainly to reflect rising cost pressures, especially from recent spike in fertilizer and also crude oil prices that are also affecting other oil seed crops too. So what are the key developments of risk that you'll be watching out for in the coming year that could lead to big changes to the CPO outlook? CPO price is uh, most sensitive to supply shock, uh, mainly CPO's own supply fundamentals, but also the availability of competing oil supply. At present, the market is anticipating a gradual recovery and normalization of global oil supply uh, by second half of next year. However, that TCs may still be challenged if Lanina makes a return and disrupt production the next three to four months. Lanina may bring higher than usual rainfall to this Palmau region, which may delay ripening of fruits or disrupt estate operations, resulting in lower FFP yields. And in South America, where massive planting of all seeds is happening right now, Lanina may bring drought to parts of South America and also may result in yield losses. Besides whether the labour situation in Malaysia also needs to be monitored, while the government has given the approval in principle to bring in the foreign workers, it remains to be seen if the necessary workforce will be back by early 2022. The next key risk is uh, fertilizer usage. Recently, fertilizer prices have doubled compared to a year ago. This poses a risk whereby the high fertilizer costs may cause uh, some planters, especially smallholders, to stinge on uh, to stinge on fertilizer usage, which may in turn result in lower supply in 2022 or 2023. The smallholders were already applying less fertilizer uh, in 2018, 2019, when CPO prices were very low back then. As for large planters, there were complaints about logistical challenges in securing fertilizer in recent months. So, in summary. Uh, the weather, the potential lack of fertilizer and labor shortage, shortages in Malaysia, at least for now, may limit uh, global palm oil supply recovery in 2022. Last but not least, unfriendly government policies at both the producing and importing countries are always a constant risk to be monitored.